Amen. I, I just love the sensitivity uh, that I, I'm experiencing and, and those that are leading us to worship and, and how their hearts are so open to what it is the Lord is doing. And, uh, you know, we need that. We need the presence of the Lord. We need the power of God in our lives. Um, and what helps us, of course, is the word, God's holy word. So if you have the word today, I want to invite you to turn to to second Samuel chapter six. And we're going to be looking at verses one through 15. In fact, if we were in a Bible class, we would say turn to this pericope. And that's what scholars call a section of verses that are to be read together, an extract from the Bible specifically. We call it a pericope. And so we're going to go to Pericope, 2 Samuel, chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 15. And in the future, I I say Pericope, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to a section of God's Word, a passage that we need to read together to glorify God. Amen. Even in our listening, as we seek His face in worship, even in our listening, we want to glorify God. Amen. And so I just invite you just to worship and listen that way. I, I want to begin... By um, really kind of making a statement, uh, when, I, uh, when my wife and I, just before we moved here to, to California from Florida, from one paradise to another, uh, my mom went to be with Jesus. And it's kind of like that last thing that freed us up to make a change, Wes. Oh, by the way, I need to say, we have our youth, student ministries, pastor, family here, candidates. I didn't say that right. But anyhow, he's, uh, they are candidates for our youth pastor position. And I'm so happy to hear Wes and Melissa and their little baby James. They have a two-year-old back home, two-year-old back home. Won't you stand for a moment? Turn and just look at the congregation for a second. Turn. And I want to invite everybody to shake hands with them after the service. Not now, but after the service. I want to invite you guys to say hi to Wes and Melissa and little James. They spent a few hours last night with our team group and some of the sponsors. And so it's been a whirlwind weekend, a lot of work going on. We're going to meet with the board after church. So board members, remember, we're meeting in the fireside room. And so I'm glad I looked at you just then because I wanted to make sure that you get introduced and everybody gets to go by and shake hands with them. Did you guys have a good time last night, teens? Was it fun? Okay, good. Glad to hear it. So we're moving forward. So. As I was saying, just before we moved, my mom had passed, and um, just a few years before that, dad had passed. And, um, you know, it kind of gave us release so that we could make this decision as we were listening for God's voice and trying to, you know, discover what his will was for our life. And as I was thinking about those experiences and the loss of mom and dad, I want to say this. It's so simple, but, man, if you've ever lost somebody that you love, it will resonate with you. And that is when someone passes, it is felt. When someone passes, it is felt. I mean, there's something about having that person in the same room with you, somebody that you love, somebody that is alive. There is this electricity in the room. There is this, this wonderful blessing that a mom drops by to see the grandchild. And there's just this blessing that, that, that we have by having somebody with us. And then when the Lord decides that their life is done and their days have been lived and it's time for them to go be with Jesus if they know who God is and they follow Christ. And it's time that they they move on. Then it's as if the song stops playing for a while. Not that we cannot have joy again, but it's as if the music just kind of begins to fade just a little bit or the, the music stops because... 
because, you know, there's this one that was in our life and now they're not in our life. And, and it's like a kick in the gut and it's a real jolt. And we're trying to live through it and, and experience it and understand it. And it's like a relationship where you receive love and all of a sudden the relationship is gone. It's like a puddle that's dried up on hot cement and it is no more. And the music begins to, to fade away and it begins to be no more. And it makes me ask the question this morning. I want to ask the question, how is our spiritual song today? How is our spiritual heartbeat? When it comes to the relation that you have, relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, is that spiritual song still playing as if you, you just met Jesus Christ? I mean, when was the last time that you had real revival happen? That means that you, you were excited about your relationship with Jesus Christ. When was the last time that you experienced revival, the revival of your soul? That's why I want to turn to, uh, this passage here this morning and talk about King David, who had really paid the price in many different ways, but he'd also made mistakes. And here in this passage, he's caught up in his own bitterness. And then he, he finds that song, the song of his heart that had been choked off once again. He finds it all over again. I, I wonder if you've experienced that. I wonder if you've ever had feelings like probably David had that the, the, the song was no longer playing in your heart, that spiritual part of you. And there's no more passion and there's no more joy for life. And everything's kind of just been turned down. I wonder if you've ever been there before. Let's read this passage together and try to imagine what's happening here in, in, in the life and even the emotions of, of King David. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and we're going to begin at verse 1. David again brought together all the able men, young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up. From there, the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned throne between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God. Because the oxen stumbled, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, David was told... The Lord has blessed the household of Edom or Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, which is really kind of in a decorative worship apron with designs and beads and maybe some tassels. So wearing this worship apron or this linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might 
while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Father, for those that that are are listening and worshiping. I, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each heart, each mind here today, the Lord, as we're wanting to hear your voice. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak through the events of of this passage and the life of David, Lord. I thank you for, Lord, the examples that we have here. I pray that, Lord, your blessing would be upon the word, that you anoint it, and that, Lord, you'd speak through it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name, and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. So I want to begin this morning by asking the question, what makes your heart sing? I mean, what would make you dance and shout and worship like King David? I mean, what would put that spring in your step? You know, that kind of spirit that would make you hum and maybe even whistle a little bit while you walk down the road. What, what would get you so excited that you cannot wait to get up in the morning? I mean, that would be doing something. Amen. Someone said it was, it's, it's the melody. It's having a melody in your heart, a song in your heart that's, that gives you purpose and meaning in life. Someone wants to find melody as a musically satisfying sequence of notes. That's what melody is. I like just the way that sentence sounds. A musically satisfying sequence of notes. And when you hear a musically satisfying sequence of notes, you, you recognize it, it is, there is something about it. There is a smoothness to it. it. It is this melody that you realize that, wait, this moment, I mean, the space is a little bit better because when you hear the melody, it is an emotion. It evokes this emotion in you. And maybe it's sad because the song leads you that way. Or, or maybe the emotion is, is happiness. Or maybe it just makes you feel like this is a, a time that is to be fun because you're listening to the melody a place and a time that kind of makes life just a little bit better. But sometimes, as I alluded to when I began this morning, sometimes we can lose our song. Sometimes life can be a little disjointed or out of sync. And, and, and all you can do is make a rhythm that sounds like a fork caught in a blender. You recognize that it, part of life sometimes the best sound, the only sound that we can get out is please help me God. Because the losses, maybe, that we're going through, the challenges that we're facing and the ups and the downs and the whoop and the warp of life. And and the fact is, we all face that. I understand that. And so we come to the passage today and you say, "Okay, well, now, how does this passage, how does this passage help me, Pastor? I mean, what difference can it really make? Well, what can we do? Well, the first thing I think the example is that David shows us is, is give yourself Or give your spiritual life a jump start. That's what we can do. Give your spiritual life a jump start. That's the first thought here. In fact, it it comes from from the the reality there's kind of a curious scenario that unfolds before us in this text. I mean, David had just become king. He had been king over Judah for about seven years. And he rules over Israel for about 33 years. So he rules for a total of 40 years until he's about 70 years of age. And you think that, that David would have gotten it by now. I mean, that he would understand that he didn't have to be scared of God, that, that God had his back, but, but yet there is this fear that he has. I mean, there is this jealousy and there is this bitterness because of what happens and Uzzah reaches out and, and touches the, the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, you'd think that David would have gotten it by now because 
As a ruler over Israel, he had faced the Philistines not one time, but two times. And by the way, the Philistine army was a pretty big army. In fact, you would have said if you would have looked at the the statistics that it was an impossible scenario. But he does, by the power of God, the impossible, not one time, but two times. You'd think you'd understand it, especially if David would remember the words of Moses when he spoke to his people as they were leaving the land of Egypt in captivity. The Lord spoke and said, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Then later on, we read the Lord is good, a stronghold of the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. And so, so you would think that David would get it. But, but finally, he, he does understand. And he does come around. And, and he deals with the, the, the jealousy, the bitterness that would began to take root in his life. Because of what had happened to Uzzah as he'd reached out to study the ark. And so what happens is he goes back and he gets the ark. We just read that. He goes back. He gets the ark. And there's quite a bit to it. In fact, look at verse 3 with me. Go to 3 for a moment. It says, or we read, they set the ark of God on a new cart, on a new cart, and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And I think for all practical purposes, we need to recognize and remember that the ark represents it represents the very presence. I mean, the literal presence of God. You see, this was before the dispensation of Christ. This was before Jesus had arrived. And so it was the ark that represented. You'd say that ark was God, but not in the sense of idolatry. But it was the very presence of God. And that ark represented his presence. And, and we see then that he takes and puts the ark on a new cart. So he's trying to right his wrong. He puts the cart on a new cart. As if to say, this is my best, this is my best interest, this is my, my best attitude that I had to present to the Lord. I mean, I'm giving my very best. And then in giving the very best, he goes to the hill, the hill of the house of Abinadab, the hill of maybe promises past, the hill of maybe Calvary that the Messiah would come and die upon. The hill of, of all the things and all the history of the people and the nation of Israel. And, and in recognizing that's on the hill that his faith becomes alive in God. It's on the hill that this faith becomes public. And folks, I think there is something about going public with our faith. I believe it's far too long that we try to be... I don't know if it's politically correct or whatever it is to be be gentlemen about the faith of Jesus Christ. There is a time that we need to say, I believe in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I believe in Jesus. I'm saying that. And there is a time that we need to stand on the hill and go to the hill and say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, we see the example in David when he begins to get it right. He begins to follow the straight and narrow. He begins to align his path with the will of God. He turns it all around and he begins to right the wrong. That's what David does. So the first thing that he does is he gives the spiritual life a jump start. And I wonder, I wonder how long has it been since your life, your spiritual life has had a jump start. I wonder how long has it been that you've lived maybe possibly in the rut and you're just kind of living your faith and you're coming to church and everything is routine and everything is fine. But, you know, there really is something that is lacking and missing in life. And maybe it's simply an intimate relationship with God. Or maybe it's something that is pulling you away from God and it's working into your life like this wedge. And a wedge keeps two things apart. And this wedge that is in your life is keeping you from being the person that you know God has called you to be. 
and you're just accepting that and you're living in the rut and you're missing out what it is that God has really, really planned for your life. I, I wonder when was the last time that your life got a spiritual jump start? I mean, I don't know about you, but once in a while I need a shot in the arm. I mean, once in a while I need Heidi to say, Tony, that was not good. <laughs> And she did that this week, in fact. Thank you very much, Heidi. <laughs> but sometimes we, 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 need, we need a little bit of a jump start spiritually. And we need to be reminded that God is listening. And God is watching. And he wants to be a part of our life. They set the ark of God on a new cart. Brought to the house of Benadab. The, the second thing I, I, I believe that we can recognize here or, or notice is... is uh, the example that David gives us is basically give yourself the chance to forgive yourself. Give yourself the chance to forgive yourself. I think, I think that that's, that's relevant because we are so hard on ourselves. I love the story of, of these parents that lived in a small town and they have two sons and one son was 10 and one son was 8. And if there was mischievousness happening in the t- town, something going wrong, their two sons were involved. Well, so they knew they had mischievous sons. Well, someone told them the pastor was a good counselor. They helped parents with disciplining their children. And so what, what happened is they decided to take their sons to the pastor. So they took the youngest son first, and they brought the eight-year-old into the pastor to speak with the pastor. And there's the pastor in his black suit, and he's sitting behind that big desk. And here's that eight-year-old boy sitting in a chair that's twice the size he is. He was. And, and so the pastor's sitting there thinking because he's going to counsel the little boy. And so he's thinking, wanting to make the little boy think. So he says to the little boy, he says, where is God? Well, the little boy didn't know what to say. He just sat there on his chair, didn't have a word at all come out of his mouth in silence. So the pastor asked him again with a little bit stronger voice. He said to the little boy, he said, where is God? And still, the little boy didn't say a word. His eyes kind of get big. He's kind of worried now. And so the pastor's frustrated. The boy's not saying anything. So he took his finger, pointed at the little boy, and said, Where is God? And at that moment, the boy jumped up out of the chair, ran out of the pastor's office, ran down the street to his parents' house, ran to the house, ran up the stairs, ran to his bedroom, and slammed the closet door and hid in the closet. About that time, his 10-year-old little brother came and opened the closet door and said, Little brother, what's wrong? The little brother said, Boy, we're in big trouble now because God is missing and they think we did it. (laughs) Give yourself the chance to forgive yourself. Because we're talking about the man who was after God's own heart. We're talking about King David and, and you, you know, you remember the remarkable things that David did for the kingdom, but man, there was the whoop and the wharf and the in and the out and the ups and the downs and, and David was not perfect and folks, we are not perfect. Give yourself the chance to forgive yourself. We look at the passage in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me, 9 through 11. David is afraid of the Lord that day and said, You see, this is where he kind of gets off track. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Man, wow, I resonate with that. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to you? How can God use me? How can God bless my life? I mean, look at my problems. And, and I, I know the enemy whispers these things in my ear and, and gets me to think these things. And I, man, I, I look at that passage and that just really resonates. 
He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. Because why? David had rejected it. Remember, it represents the very presence of God. For three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So let's let's take stock for a moment. What's happening here? Obed-Edom has, has a household that is being blessed. And the household is blessed because the presence, remember the ark represents the very presence, the literal presence of God. And because the presence of God was a part of the household, we're reading here that the household is blessed. Why is the household blessed? They're blessed because of the presence of God. Why is the household blessed? Because of the presence of God. And so, you see, we have this, this idea here that when there is the presence of the Lord and the presence of God in the house, there is blessing. And I don't know about you or about your home or about this house we call the house of God. But ladies and gentlemen, I want the blessing of God. Amen. I want the blessing of God. And it says that when there is the presence of the Lord, that's the ark. There is blessing that follows the presence of the Lord. And of course, we just read here, David was afraid and likely because of the uncertainty and knowing what might happen, knowing that it was he was he was human, knowing that he was going to fail. And the fact is, I'm going to fail. And I told Wes in the early service, Wes, I promise you, I will fail you. And I want to be a great pastor and I want to be. You know, a great team player. And I want to do all these things, Chippo, but I I will fail you. Because I am human and as human beings, we're going to make mistakes. And again, it's going to be the up and the down and the whoop and the wharf of life. But hallelujah, there is a God that is merciful. There is a God that is loving. And he wants to fix these things so that we might align ourselves with the perfect will and plan of God. Amen. The fact is. I type this. The fact is, if you have a pulse, you're going to mess up. Amen. I mean, we do that. And the last one to forgive ourselves is oftentimes ourselves. And maybe this morning, maybe there's something going on in your life and maybe there's something that you're doing. Maybe there's guilt that's on your shoulders right now and you're wrestling with this guilt. And maybe it's a vice that you have in your life. Man, maybe there is something there that is, you know, kind of behind the scenes and there is this weight that is present and it is guilt. And the enemy is using that to tear you down and destroy your life. Just like we read that the enemy, that Satan is like a lion roaming to and fro, seeking people to devour. I I like this quote I came across. No amount of guilt can change the past (laughs) and worry cannot change the future. No amount of guilt can change the past. And so, you know, you see, the enemy would love for us to dwell there. He would love for us to live there. But the fact is, guilt is not always a rational thing. It can be a weight that crushes you even when it's undeserved. This is why I love Isaiah 53, 6. It says that we all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on upon him. This is 400 years before Jesus ever comes to the earth as the Messiah. But he was speaking about the Messiah. I was Isaiah was. And he said, the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus Christ, the weight or the iniquity of us all that we might rise up to God and that we might be forgiven and we might be cleansed of our sins. I like Matthew chapter 27. It talks about Judas when 
he had betrayed Jesus Christ and he saw that Jesus was condemned. It says that he seized, he was seized with remorse and he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. And then he said this, listen, Judas said this. He says, I have sinned. He said, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. And you say, well, pastor, how do we realign our soul? I mean, how do we get the song to begin to play again? How do we hear the beat of, of the spirit in our heart once more? Folks, you align with Jesus Christ and you ask him to forgive you of sin and repent of that sin and turn from your wrong and turn to what is right. And God will set you free. Amen. In Jesus Christ. And so what can we do? We can confess to the Lord, we can right the wrong, we can admit what's happening, and we can allow God to do His work. You know, I understand the psychology of our behavior is is much deeper and complex than, than I could discuss, I'm even qualified to discuss. But I also understand that the beginning of the change and the transformation and the healing, it it starts with with the beginning. And that's really the key, that that we begin somewhere. And notice here in the passage, David does not take too long in realizing that he'd missed the mark and the opportunity. And so with blazing face, he turns around and in that faith, he begins to realign his will with the will of God. And he comes back and he places the ark on a new cart. He goes to the hill. And he makes sure the relationship needs to be what it is. And then he shows us something else. And this is the last thought, I think, I, I believe that we see here in this lesson. And that is, he, he, he encourages us to give ourselves six steps. In fact, look at the passage. Go to verse 13, verse 13 and 15, 13 through 15. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps... He sacrificed a bull and fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod, that's that worship apron. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Now, I, I, I want to say that in all the schooling and all the Bible classes and all the, the training that I've been through in, in the years of ministry that I've been involved in ministry, um, I, I have never, ever paused In this passage, and notice this phrase right here, six steps. In fact, I I was preparing for today, and I I was reading through this, and almost as an afterthought, six steps. Six steps. And and then what happens, they begin carrying the ark of the Lord, and then they, they stop after just six steps. And then they sacrifice a bull and a fattened calf. And, and, you know, that had to take some time. Imagine that. that They had to get the, you know, get the animal ready. And and then they had to, you know, of course, build the the fire. And then there was the cleanup thing. I mean, this was some effort after just six steps. I remember as a kid, as we would start out on a trip, maybe it was a Christmas trip to go to a relative's house for Christmas or some trip. But every time we'd start on a trip, my mom or dad, they'd sit in the front. I have one sibling, a brother, and we'd sit in the back. And my mom and dad, every trip, would stop and pray before we'd leave the driveway. So before we ever started our trip, we always prayed that God would keep us safe and bless the trip. I mean, that was just part of being in our family. We prayed for the trip and then we'd take off when we'd take the trip. You see, this is the idea as we look at this, if we were to apply this in in, in our scenario, it'd be like us taking off on the trip, leaving the driveway, getting up on the freeway, driving maybe two miles to the very first exit and taking that exit and finding the parking lot. And then we stop and then we pray and ask God to bless our trip. And this is exactly what David does 
because he's wanting to align himself with the will of the father. This is the pause or the big pause. I'd like to say that the six steps that he pauses so that he might focus on the will of the father, that he might align his life again with what it is that God had intended for him. And I'm wondering, when was the last time that we paused long enough to hear the voice of the father in our life this morning? When was the last time that we took six steps? I mean, beyond the routine of going to church and beyond the routine of, of maybe the, the typical things that we do, that we, we absolutely just pause long enough to allow our hearts and our lives to be realigned to the perfect will of God. To pause six steps that we might say, Father, I want to be in your will. I want to please you. To pause long enough to say, Father, this, this is what's going on in my life and you know about it already. And so, Father, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you with it. When was the last time that we paused long enough? I, I, I look at this passage and, and, and what follows the result is for David, it's the dance of transformation. And it was for David, this dance of transformation, because he began to have a song in his heart again. And the song began to play again. And that spiritual heartbeat began to happen because he got his heart right with his father in heaven. When was the last time that we paused long enough to make sure that our heart is aligned with the will of the Father and our heart is right with God in heaven? I want to invite us to do that right now. I want to invite us just to imagine that we've taken six steps, church. That we've taken six steps and that, that we're pausing to focus upon the Father. We're pausing to hear His voice long enough that we might realign our life with His perfect will. That we might hear His voice and say, God... Lord, this is who I am, and you know what I'm dealing with in life. You know about the sin in my life. You know about what it is that's working like a wedge that's separating me from my Creator, from my Father in Heaven. And so, Father, I just want to pause right now, and I want to just hear your voice. And I want to take this moment to make my heart right with you.